Hey, this is voice actor Cassandra Lee Morris. Welcome to Now You See Me. I've voiced hundreds of characters for anime, video games, and animation, and I realize people know a lot about the characters I play, but very little about the real me. So, I started this podcast to pull back the curtain on my life, share more about myself, and what I've gone through. Along the way, I'll be interviewing guests, some well-known and others behind the scenes, to dig into their lives and find out what they've overcome to achieve their artistic goals. I hope this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to live your best creative life. Together, we'll all learn that there's more to someone than the stories they tell. Hey, everybody. I am back in the studio with my longtime friend and brilliant astrologer, Andy Bellotti from Astrology with Andy. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to catch up. So Andy and I actually went to college together at NYU back in the day, and that's how we met. That's right. Back in the day. At this point, literally decades, plural, <laughs> decades ago. <laughs> yeah, we so we had um, we took Sue's class together. We were in this like famous now famous. I've seen it like written up in multiple places. Um, it, it's, I would say it's it was a journalism class, but it was more like a personal mm-hmm. essay class. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Was it called feature writing? Do you remember the, the name of the actual even, course? I don't even remember now. Because <laughs> it was definitely I just call it I, class. <laughs> right. I mean, I know that when I enrolled in it, <clears throat> I don't think the word magazine was in the title, but it was like magazine writing. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, like newspaper journalism. Oh no, it was not hard news at all. We were writing about our our first assignment was to write a humiliation essay, like the most humiliating <laughs> right. thing that ever happened to us. <laughs> <laughs> so that's and, how we met. <laughs> yeah, and then what I liked about that class, and I think it kind of, actually looking back on it, it was kind of a brilliant first assignment because I feel like it bonded us. Yeah, it did. Because we all were very vulnerable and sharing very like embarrassing things in front. Of, and then we were, um, it was like a workshop kind of class too, where we would like um, edit each other's writing. Yeah. Do you remember what you what your humiliation thing was about? Yes, mine was about working for Bonnie Fuller oh, yeah. <laughs> at Us Weekly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that was in the heyday of um, celebrity tabloid magazines. She like started the modern tabloid <clears throat> movement, I would say. Yeah, it's wild because I was there. So I interned at Us Weekly starting in 2001 before she came on. And it was wild to see how it went from, you know, I mean, back in the day, us well, it used to be called Us Magazine. It wasn't weekly. But it had, like, legit essays in it. And then Bonnie came in, and she turned it into, like, a picture book. Yeah. And she was, like, circling uh, baby. Like, she started the whole baby bump frenzy. Oh, God. She's the one who started that. And the thing is, everybody hated working for her because she would have people there until 4 in the morning. Oh, yeah. But um, Media, which is a conglomerate that – owned among other things us weekly loved her because she like quadrupled sales oh yeah she made that like the most popular tabloid magazine of the time and yeah she invented the just pictures with short captions pictures of celebrities with short captions so it was like instagram before there was instagram in print form she invented that you're right i hadn't thought of it that way and also like the the circling of stuff in a photo She also was the one who started that, like circling the baby bump or something like that. Oh, God, that's so weird. Um, Yeah, and then later I interned at Us Weekly. That's right. I had a slightly different experience. They were like, look, if anybody tells you to stay past 6 p.m., do not do it. Just leave because you're not getting paid. (laughs) Like all the stuff I did as an intern there would be illegal now. I was writing for them, and I had a byline at one point (gasps) in the magazine, and I was like, Doing, like, reporting and researching, like, going around to restaurants and stuff and never got paid for any of it. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Yeah. That's illegal now. But, yeah, it was, like, unpaid labor. And I did actual work that got into the magazine. Wow. Mm -hmm. I think for me the weirdest thing I did at Us Weekly, again, when Bonnie came in, um, 
<clears throat> it was like seven o'clock at night. And she sent me and an actual employee down to because remember their offices were around uh, Radio City Music Hall. Yeah, I remember. Huh? So it was seven o'clock, and she wanted—I guess she was torn between two possible covers—and then she wanted us to, and we did, to go walking around Sixth uh, Avenue and asking people on the street which cover did they like more. Oh my god. <laughs> And this was like January, so it was like 20 degrees out. It was horrible. Wow. Yeah, she was she was known for her late nights and her innovation, I guess. And also notorious, I mean, now that there's like a, a podcast about Bonnie Fuller, but can I tell two quick stories that of are just course. that just show you? So one was that she was notorious for um so for people who don't know, her office was you know, the walls were all glass, so you could always see uh-huh. into her office. I remember that. Um, <clears throat> and she was notorious, <clears throat> excuse me, for getting her hair and makeup, hair, makeup, and nails done in the office. And then people would be lining up outside her office, like waiting for her because they're like, Bonnie, we need to know, do you want this or that? <laughs> and you would have to wait an hour because she was getting her hair done. That was one. <laughs> and the second one is, which is really crazy, <laughs> is yeah. that she... And this, I mean, granted, it was when I was there, it was 2002, but still, everybody had email at that point. Bonnie did not do emails. So what she would do is, I mean, talk about inefficiency. I mean, I have a third story. Um, (laughs) So her assistant, whose name was Ingela, uh, would print out all the emails that Bonnie had received throughout the day. No. And then when Bonnie went home in her town car, she would sit in the back seat and manually, with a pen, write her reply. The next morning, she would give that to Ingela, and then Ingela would go into her email and type her responses and re- reply to the emails. That blows my mind because I think we had email. I had email in like 1994. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's not- It wasn't a new invention. But then this leads to the third story about inefficiency because at one point um, they brought in an efficiency expert and the efficiency expert concluded (laughs) that Bonnie was the problem. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Probably because when she saw that, she's like, oh, wait, you don't answer emails. You actually like – write the write the responses out people have to wait like 12 hours like that's not efficient oh my god that is i'm like dying right now that is so funny and that was also in the heyday of when magazine i mean now magazines are almost like a dinosaur industry but back then that was like when you had all these mag i mean yeah i think that was the golden era of magazines 100 percent. i wanted to be a magazine writer and editor <laughs> That's what I thought I was going to do Same. in my life. <laughs> Same. And I, I but I, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I blame romantic comedies for that. How many romantic comedies did we watch where oh. the leads were either, or they took place like, you know, 13 going on 30, how to lose a guy in 10 days. Mm. They were all, they all had those jobs. You're right. That and sex in the city. Oh yes. Of I course. mean, she had a column. She was like a cool New York writer. I wanted to do that. Right. Never did it. <laughs> Same. I graduated with, with my journalism degree, and then I was like, I actually don't want to do this as a career. I tried. It just didn't happen. I became an actor. Like that. <laughs> so you actually had like a journalism job? Because I never did. Um, did I have a journalism job? Not. No, I could never get one. <laughs> <laughs> they were so competitive. You know, like, they were so competitive to get because so many people wanted them. So I ended up getting a writing job in Connecticut, and I would write, like, freelance articles and stuff like that. But, no, I never had, like, my dream job at Cosmopolitan or Vogue or Elle or any of those magazines or Seventeen. Like, no, that just never happened for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What did it for me was I remember I was looking for jobs – right before I graduated, and I saw this posting for, it was for the New York Daily News for their gossip column. And basically the job was you had to go out 
to all these premieres and like try to get quotes. And I'm like, that that's not fun though. No, that's hell. It is absolute hell. It It is is absolute hell. The man on the street stuff sucks. Actually, I kind of had a journalism job where I would write this quote unquote column. It wasn't even a column. It was just like a, it was called cool in your code. And it was cool stuff to do in different New York City zip codes. And it was in um, one of the daily newspapers, like Metro or something. And it came out like every Mm. Thursday. So I did that, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. And we, I had to do a lot of man-on-the-street interviews like that. Like, excuse me, uh, what, what do you like about this? And it was, it was like just soul-sucking because <laughs> nobody wants completely. to talk to you. <laughs> and not to mention, all those entry-level journalism jobs paid nothing. Oh, yeah, they paid like $20,000 a year. But you have to yeah. be in New York City? Hello? No, you can't do that. Yeah. You cannot live And that's there. when I was like, this is just not for me. Yeah. So, what did... Okay, so let's fast forward. Now you're an astrologist. Astrologer. Astrologer. <laughs> astrologist. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Now you're an astrologer. <clears throat> so, um, how did how did that come about? Tell me. I mean, it's a whole evolution. So, I started getting really into astrology. Well, let me back up. So by the time I grew up in a household where um, my mother was really into astrology, so she always had astrology books. And I recall being six years old and just being very drawn to that. Like at six years old, I knew that I was a Gemini. I knew all the 12 signs. I mean, I wasn't doing readings, obviously, but I was really like into it. Cool. And then at 14... When I turned 14, my parents, as a birthday gift, got me an actual birth chart reading. And that was my first time being like, oh, there's like a whole chart and like somebody who like interprets this. And then at 18, when I went to NYU, I started getting really into it. I remember like going to Barnes and Noble and just like going to the astrology section and just over the year buying a lot of books and then teaching myself. And then I got a reading in New York and that astrologer kind of became my mentor. And then I just started... To practice, I'm like, well, let me just do readings. And this is back when I was working. After I graduated from NYU, I had an an administrative job at NYU at Stern, the School of Business. Oh wow! And word got out that um, that I was into astrology, and that ended up really benefiting me because the way that I was practicing was I was telling people, if you take me to lunch and pay for lunch, I'll read your chart. So over as a result of that, I, I was doing I did like ninety or a hundred charts in like a year or something. Well, that's a lot of free lunches, and that's amazing when you live in New York City too. <laughs> exactly, it was free lunches, and it was great for me because you know I didn't have enough knowledge to like legit charge. But it was also I, I always say that with astrology, at least, yes, there's a lot to learn, but also the best way to learn is to actually do it and practice. A hundred percent. And then. Out of all those people whose charts I read, some people started like, you know, recommending me to like friends or family members. And I was still charging peanuts because I had a full time job. But that's how like over time, the, you know, my client base, if you will, started growing. And then as the years went on, it was always kind of in the back burner as like a hobby or a Mm -hmm. thing I did on the side every once in a while. And then finally, in 2019, I was like, you know what? Now I know a lot. I really like doing this. I want to actually turn it into a business. And also by, you know, by 2019, we had just with technology, it was easier to have clients who were in other cities or other countries. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> back in the day when you're doing a- astrology, you had to like rely on people who were local to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So four years ago, I started my business. So it's like a legit, you know, it's like a, I have like a business license to practice astrology in, in Nevada. It's like a whole thing. That's awesome. So are you only doing um, readings online or do you see clients in person as well? Only online. It's funny you say that because I have a few clients who live in Vegas, as do I. Yeah. But I just love the online because, first of all, when it's online, it can be recorded. Yeah. Which I think is key because then people can watch it back. And also, I, I'm a very private person. Like, I, just, I, just don't, I don't want people coming in my house. 
I don't feel like going to somebody else's. I feel like also online, it's so much easier to have that boundary of like, okay, we have five minutes left. Have a nice day, you know? (laughs) 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 Like nobody's hanging around. Respect. (laughs) Respect. Because could people, because I'd imagine you're telling people really personal things about their lives. So I feel like they could all of a sudden feel like super close to you and be like, oh, like, let's hang out. Like, you know, all this stuff about me. But for you, it's just kind of a job. And after like you've done my chart, I think I've gotten like two or three readings from you. Um, And then my husband Mm -hmm. has and my mom has. So, um, yes. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you like know all this stuff about us. And you're like, no, I just forget it after. (laughs) I do. And it's not to be callous or, you know, or or, um, glib. But I do because I do so many of these Mm -hmm. that, you know, and also unlike, say, a therapist who you see on a weekly basis, most of my clients the vast majority check in with me every 12 to 18 months. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, you know, it's not a thing where every week I'm like, Oh, right. I mean, sometimes when there's many particular things that are very extreme, I might remember them, Yeah. but by and large, um, I don't, which is why I appreciate it when some clients might email me six months later and be like, oh, you said that in April such and such would happen, and it did. Because I, I forget what I tell people. Yeah, I believe <laughs> it. I mean, it's the same way where, you know, I work on so many uh, video games. And by the time they come out, it's like two years later. And I don't always remember the exact plot, <laughs> which sounds <laughs> weird. But, uh, you know, I work on so much stuff in between that, you know, I have to, like, refresh my memory a lot of the time. So, I yeah, I 100% believe that. Um, and you and you are right, though, that in, in, in astrology readings, very personal things do come up, which is why, you know, I'm very used to a lot of people might get emotional at times. But these are all things that I'm used to. They don't phase me. You know, yeah. it's just part of the job. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow, you must get a lot of, I mean, do you ever leave a session and you're like, whoa, that was heavy? I have to, like, reset. I have to, like, sage myself. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I would say that because the vast majority of my readings are, you know, a natal chart or a birth chart and the year ahead. And a lot of the heavier stuff happens on the front end. So usually by the time we get to the end of the reading, we're dealing with lighter things. So it usually it never ends on a on an intense note. It might be at the beginning of anything. Mm, okay. That's, so, that's yeah. That's awesome. So you had a podcast for a little while, uh, mm-hmm. Astrology with Andy, and you mm-hmm. did chart readings for a lot of celebrities like mm-hmm. Vanessa Williams and a bunch of people from MTV. Yeah. And yes. also Deborah Wilson, who was on Mad TV but is now a, a voice actor like me, and I've actually worked with her. I worked with her on Bug Snacks, and oh. I've seen her since then, and she never remembers who I am. <laughs> really? But to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, I grew up watching you on Mad TV. Like, she, I'm like, whoa, like, I'm a little intimidated by her. <laughs> she has such a, uh, what I, you know, she has such what I would describe as like a quiet confidence. Oh, so to me, it's not quiet. <laughs> In the booth, it is not quiet. But that's, you know, that's mm, good, you know, as a of performer. Course. But yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Tell me more. Yeah, well, the reason why, so just like you, you know, the thing with my podcast is that um, I love doing it. What got, because, you know, I'm also a, a one man team. I don't have like somebody who takes care of my guest bookings and somebody who's writing the script. It's all me. Um, And I would have loved to kept it going, but it got hard to get guests to come on to have their chart read. Uh, You know, I would say that I reached out to probably over 200 people. Now, some of them, you know, they were on through Instagram DMs that never got read. So, and then some were like on cam, like I was paying to message people on cameo and there were some people who said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And then they ghosted me, like Aubrey O'Day from Danny Kane. Oh, <laughs> um, call now, busted. Aubrey <laughs> <laughs> Who I love. I love Aubrey. And when she got back to me, she's like, I'd love to do it. I was like on cloud nine and then nothing came of it. Mm. But I love doing it. And I only reached out to people who I 
either looked up to or who were like a, a pivotal part of my growing up. And Deborah oh. Wilson, like you said, yeah. was one. Yeah. Yeah. She was hilarious on Mad TV. She is like a force to be reckoned with. Like she walks in a room and you know it. You know she is there. <laughs> yeah. Well, even on Zoom, when I did my entry with her, she just has that very strong presence. And she's yeah. such a great storyteller, too. She's very engaging. Mm -hmm. And I think, obviously, by virtue of being an actress, um, just the way that she tells stories and the physicality, you know, she's, she's just very, she really captures your attention. Yeah, yeah. She's she's a personality. I just love that we have that, like, little connection. <laughs> Aside from our college experience. <laughs> totally. So when you work... When you work with somebody on the kind of work that you do, are are you ever in the booth with them at the same time or is booth time individual? It depends on the project. Usually for video games, we record separately. But for Bug Snacks, we did an ensemble recording. So there were probably 10 to 12 of us in the booth together. So it was like a huge booth. We were all mic'd up and we were in a circle and she was right next to me. So, oh, yeah, so I, I spent cool. like whatever, four or six hours. I don't even remember now. It was so long ago. I mean, four hours like next to her. And I mean, I was probably acting awkward. So she was probably like, who is this weird person next to me? <laughs> but it was because I was like, oh, my, I, I feel like I know you. Like me and my brother used to watch you on TV. You know, you were like in our living room. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, she's she's really talented. She's really good at what she does, for sure. Yeah, amazingly talented. And I think one thing that also adds, at least for me, to her persona is the fact that she's not on social media. You oh, don't yeah. see her all the time. Yeah, she has no Instagram. Like no. So that to me makes somebody even more interesting because they they mm -hmm. feel like they're not readily available to you. Yeah. See, you know? to me, I'm like, oh, no, if I'm not on socials, will people forget about me? Will I not get cast and stuff? Because you hear about things where, you know, people want to cast people with social media followings. So Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. For a while, that was a huge thing. Now it's just like a nice bonus. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So t to me, that's like, wow, bold move to not be on it at all. Probably better right. for your mental health, but also, like, for your <laughs> right. career. Bold move. Anyway, speaking of charts, you have, like I mentioned, you've done my chart. I have. So in your chart, you have a, a – let me say this. Even though you are an Aries, mm -hmm. like your son – the sun was an Aries when you were born. That is your sun sign. The reason why it's so important to look at a birth chart is because I always say that astrology is holistic. What I mean by that is that – kind of like the human body, you know, it's not like the heart is more important than the lungs or they're more important than the brain. Everything matters. Mm -hmm. So in a chart, we look at, yes, of course, your son matters. It's part of who you are, but so are other things. And um, I was going to say that you have a lot of Pisces in your chart. Mm. I love and that. What, yeah, you have your moon in Pisces. You have Venus in Pisces. You also have something called the Midheaven, which I'll get into detail in a minute, but something called the Midheaven in Pisces. And then the planet Neptune, which is the planet that is in charge of Pisces. So every, every sign has what's called a, a, planet, uh, a planetary ruler, although like Cancer's ruler is the moon, which is not a planet. But in astrology, we kind of sometimes refer to everything as a planet just for mm -hmm. ease of reference. But... My point is that every sign has a celestial body that is in charge of it. And for Pisces, that's Neptune. And in your chart, you also have a very active Neptune. So not only do you have actual things in Pisces, but then the planet that is in charge of it is also very active in your chart. And the reason why that's so interesting to me is because Pisces in astrology is the sign that rules artistry. So it rules acting. Yeah. So things like acting, I mean, all sorts of things, you know, acting, painting, singing, um, any kind of artistic expression. But I'm not surprised that somebody who ends up in a career like voice acting has so much Pisces because that's exactly what that is about. Wild. I, this is mm -hmm. why I love astrology. It makes so much sense to me. <laughs> It does. Well, yeah, because it really, you know, I always say that to me, astrology is like a tool of insight. 
that just mm. gives you like a really comprehensive look. Because also things in the chart that can come up are things like, for example, the the family dynamic that you grew up in. So, for example, um, in the chart, there's a very sensitive degree that's called the IC, the, le- the letter I, the letter C. Mm-hmm. That is where the sector of your chart that relates to your family begins, and you have it in Virgo. And a Virgo IC talks about an upbringing that was very structured, where there may have been a lot of, you know, rules. It, it, it wasn't just like loosey-goosey, like, just oh. do whatever I want. Oh, no, I did not grow up in that house. <laughs> there were, like, <laughs> right. all these stupid rules. <laughs> I say that even now. I mean, it probably sounds like a bratty teenager, but even looking back, I'm like, that was dumb. Like, why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> At one point, I feel like I wasn't even like allowed to leave the house, and I was fourteen years old. <laughs> so that makes Very a lot Virgo. of sense. Yeah, just that, like, kind of, yeah, that that whole Virgo thing of like, don't do this, but do this. Yes. Um, but back to the midheaven thing, I forgot to mention that the mid to you know in the same way that the IC is where your family sector begins, the midheaven is where the career sector begins. So with you having your midheaven in Pisces, what that talks about, I always say that I'm a big believer in free will. So astrology does not override free will. But in astrology, we can talk about what are the things that will fulfill you the most. So with your midheaven in Pisces, it means that either an, um, an artistic career or Pisces also rules things that are very healing in nature. So like that could be medicine, nursing, Reiki, yoga, acupuncture, whatever. Mm. But uh, an artistic or a healing career would be the most fulfilling for your chart. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, as I mentioned before, I had that job where I was writing that cool in your code column mm-hmm. and working it was actually I was also working for an ad agency at the time and I would it was very structured nine to five every day at the office and I would go on my lunch break to Madison Square Park and I would sit there and cry I hated it I hated it so much and I would also sneak out to go on auditions (laughs) and um, when I had a job I would I would just sneak out and do it or I would be like I have a doctor's appointment and I would go <laughs> record Yu-Gi-Oh or something so yeah I, I was never I tried to do the nine to five structured thing and it really made me unhappy so yeah which is also fascinating because you know the midheaven is career and then the moon among other things in astrology is about my needs what do I need to feel? fulfilled and satisfied mm-hmm. and Pisces is all about there being not a lot of structure. You know, Pisces is very much more like go with the flow, you know, Pisces is more like, well, some days I might work 10 hours and another day I might work six. Some days I might mm-hmm. work at nine another another day I might start work at 1 PM. So that's just better suited for you. Whereas somebody who has a mid heaven and Virgo, that's somebody who's like, no, I like to have very defined hours, very defined roles. So that's why I always say too that, you know, I often use the analogy of plants with birth charts in the same way that, you know, there's some plants that require a lot of water, mm-hmm. but if you give that much water to another plant, you're going to kill it. <laughs> same thing with charts. You know, there's some charts that thrive on structure and there's other charts that that much structure is uh, perceived as like oppressive or just make somebody very unhappy that's very true in my in my career in my day to day i mean some days i'll have a session at nine some days it'll be at one some days it's at four and when i start to do the same thing at the same time every day like i get i just feel really constricted and i have to like leave (laughs) (laughs) go away for the weekend or something (laughs) and that's why i always tell people again like you have to and i respect everybody's beliefs you know if you believe in astrology if you don't but i do tell people before you make up your mind get your actual birth chart done because simply saying like oh you know well i'm a taurus but i can't relate to anything about my sign And many times that's because, yeah, your son might be in Taurus, but you might have a bunch of stuff in Libra 
And that's why you identify more than other signs. So you really have to look at the whole chart. Interesting. So even though I am an Aries, I am a lot of Pisces. Is that what you're saying? Correct. And it doesn't deny or cancel out your Aries. There's still Aries qualities that you have. But it also means that in your chart to feel fulfilled and satisfied, there's a lot of Pisces that you have to live out. And you wouldn't know that unless you did your chart. Crazy. That makes a lot of sense because I do identify with a lot of Aries characteristics mm-hmm. and a lot of fire characteristics. Mm-hmm. Right. But but not all of them. I feel like if I was like triple Aries, I would I would personally not like myself. That <laughs> 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 would be way too much. Yeah. And I and I have some clients who are, you know, like triple of one thing. And they really embody the characteristics of that sign. Wild. So what would happen if I (laughs) became like a lawyer or something? Would it just be terrible? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, That's a great (laughs) question because there's ways that it can play out. So, you know, Pisces is all about – So. I always say every sign has what I call multiple paths of fulfillment. So for Pisces, the paths of fulfillment are one, anything artistic, mm-hmm. two, anything healing, mm-hmm. uh, as we we're talking about. But also the third path for Pisces, Pisces is all about helping the underdog, being of service. So if oh you were to gosh. say, yeah, go ahead. That's me. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, there you go. No, because I was going to say, if you were to say, I'm a lawyer who helps, say, undocumented immigrants. That's a very Pisces way of doing law. Now, when you have a Pisces midheaven, though, you know, being like a, a lawyer for a corporation, that's always, you know, that's trying to basically screw over the little guy. That's not Pisces. Mm. Mm. So, okay. yeah. So if you were to become a lawyer or even like, you know, an entrepreneur, but you start a company that's all about, solving some kind of social injustice or or helping out people who are economically disadvantaged that would be very pisces wow oh that's yeah that's a cool way of looking at it because you know if you think about it there are lawyers out there who are pisces but there's a lot of different kinds of lawyers exactly Yeah. yeah so and that's why ultimately in astrology it's not about that i would tell somebody oh you are meant to be this one thing but it would be like well career wise the three things that would fulfill you it could be artistic it could be healing it could be helping the underdog cuz you know i also have clients who have a pisces midheaven like you and they're not doing voice acting or anything artistic but they might be an acupuncturist very pisces yeah yeah that's funny i was doing acupuncture for a while and i was like I could do this. And I was asking the acupuncturist how she got oh, wow. her credentials and about school <laughs> and everything like that. So it's funny that that's, that that's something that you brought up. Yeah. And yeah, I'm actually really intrigued by Reiki too. I was super into reading tarot for other people for a while. Oh, nice. Yeah. It had, you know, it was something that I had always done for myself and then I was branching out and doing it for other people. But I actually haven't done it now in probably over, over a year. But I was like, maybe I could have a little tarot business. I got it's really kind of like artistic helping people, you know? Absolutely. And also, you know, Pisces is, Pisces is also the sign that relates to intuition and psychic ability because Pisces relates to whatever is outside the five senses. So, you know, mm-hmm. just energy and feeling vibes and like any kind of intuition is very Pisces. I got really into tarot. So I initially got into tarot also freshman year of college. And then it just mm-hmm. kind of went in the background. And then during the pandemic, I got really into it to the Ooh. point that before the pandemic, I had two tarot decks. Mm-hmm. A year later, I, I had 73. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just on Amazon. Because, you know, like I had like, I wasn't spending money on anything. So I was just like on Amazon buying tarot decks. <laughs> Um, and sometimes I would say maybe a third of the time that I do readings, the ones that have like the year ahead component, um, I also will sometimes pull cards if I feel like there's something that maybe I, I need more information on. So I don't offer tarot as like a separate service, but sometimes I might 
add it to what I'm doing. Cause I, I, I just love it as like the information you can get from it. Were you doing it in a predictive way? Were you doing it more to like help people understand the current situation? I told people that it was for just understanding a situation better and just getting an idea of if they took different paths, what that could lead to. But then some readings I did ended up being predictions that happened. Yeah. For example, my friend, we were out to dinner. He wanted to know if he was going to get this job. Well, he already had the job, but his agent was trying to, like, renegotiate the contract and get more money or something or other. And literally the entire reading was about contracts coming to fruition. And I said, I don't normally do this. I don't normally say, yes, absolutely, this is going to happen. But this is what the cards are telling me, so I'm just telling you. And... Then the next day, he texted me and said, "Um, everything about your tarot reading came true. And Wow. (laughs) I know. So sometimes cool stuff like that happens. But I don't, I mean, I don't think you can predict the future, but I think you can get an idea of of what's going to happen. I did Mm -hmm. do a really eerie, I shouldn't say eerie, but this is this was the last tarot reading I did for myself, and then I put it away because I just didn't want to mess with anything because I'm also kind of superstitious. Mm. So it was last summer, and I wanted to get pregnant, and but I was having this existential crisis, and I was like, should I not do it? Should I do it? Should you know? Should I pursue this? Should I not? It's been a long road, and I'd never used this deck before. And the every card that came up was mother. So it was like, like the Empress. It was no, it was literally because um, you know how they have um, like if you're doing playing cards, it's like Jack, Queen, King, Ace. So yes. for them, the queens, they were like mother of pentacles, mother oh. of swords. Um, wow. And every mother card came up. And I was like, okay, I think this is a yes. And literally that reading was one of the main reasons I was like, all right, I'm just going to give this a go. Wow. That's really powerful. I I know. (laughs) But then I was freaked (laughs) out. (laughs) (laughs) So I put away my tarot for a long time. And now I've had my baby. So... I don't know. I just felt like I couldn't pick up tarot again because I had like Mm. that really powerful reading on the beach with all like mother cards and I screenshot it and I put it as as my phone background. So I was like looking at it like throughout my whole pregnancy, too. So, yeah, that was my last reading. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think that tarot just taps into something. And to your point, I think it is about just looking at the current energy around a situation but it is wild how these 78 cards depict very specific archetypes. These archetypes have been around for as long as humans have been around. So to me, there is something to to that. There is an ancient wisdom that we're tapping into when we read tarot. Completely. And then I love all, just all, the, um, all the things that the different modalities have in common because, you know, Carl Jung played a huge role in developing astrology as we know it now because back in the day i mean astrology has been around for thousands of years um but now you know around the time of carl Jung, he really helped to turn it into what it is now which is less of a fatalistic thing and more Mm -hmm. of like a you know like a transhuman um humanistic psychology kind of deal Mm. where uh, you know astrology is more used now to like get to know yourself better understand your challenges and he played a huge role in that wow so i didn't even know that that's so Mm -hmm. cool so uh, i'm curious what is a typical day like for an astrologer yeah you know it definitely back to what we were talking about earlier it is not a mega structured kind of deal so we're Uh, in that way (laughs) exactly now there is so here's the thing so i Obviously, you know, it's not it's not like I get paid by the hour. I get paid by the reading. Um, but I use what I use for scheduling. I do set my hours of availability. Mm. So like my first reading 
at the earliest is 9 a.m. I'm not a like a super early morning person. So like I'm not offering readings at 7 a.m. Pacific or anything like that. But so my, my schedule is nine to five in the sense that my availability when you can book a reading, the earliest one starts at nine and then the last reading is over by 5 p.m. Nice. But then what will vary, of course, is that and, and many times um, my availability is seven days a week. Now, it doesn't mean that I work seven days a week. That's when I'm available. But yeah, so some weeks I might ha- I might work, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. Then another week I might work Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. But the days that I'm not working, quote unquote, I am doing, you know, there's a lot that goes into having a business, as you know, that's kind of unpaid work. So like my Instagram account is unpaid work because that's where I'm either, you know, when I'm posting a video, you know, I'm brainstorming the idea, I'm writing the script, I'm filming it. And then even the posts that are more text-based, those still take time. A hundred percent. And that's all marketing too. Exactly. And every few months, I also post a blog post about the astrology of world events. Um, mm. And that takes that takes weeks to do. So, I'm, you know, sometimes when I'm not doing readings, I might spend an hour or two working on that blog post because those blog posts are three to four thousand words wow yeah so like the research that goes into it then the writing the editing so it's not like if i'm not doing a reading i'm just not working at all there's just other things that fall outside the scope of a traditional reading but still relate to my business totally a hundred percent it's the same thing with voice acting sometimes i spend a lot of time on social media posting things promoting myself I spend a lot of time auditioning. Auditions are not paid at all. So but I'm not going to get a paid job if I don't audition. I spend a lot of time uh, filling out contracts, scheduling, emailing with my agents, banking. <laughs> <laughs> Do it, you know, doing all like the not fun part of running a business. But yeah, mm-hmm. just because I'm not in the studio doesn't mean I'm not working because I totally am. So... Completely. And then there's times too where, you know, it's not really work, but it's work adjacent. Like, um, you know, I'm reading an astrology book, which is about furthering my knowledge base. Because in the the same way that in most professions, it's not like you just get your degree and then you just you're like, okay, I know everything I'm done. There's always continuing education, you know, nurses do it, everybody doctors do it. So I mean, there's not like formal continuing education credits, but I'm always um, learning more and reading books and and expanding my my knowledge of astrology. So that's also something that I do frequently. Yeah, it's the same thing with me. I still take acting classes and I still study with people just to make sure my skills are sharp and that mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not um, or that I'm up on trends. And you know, it's just like I always like to think of it as being a dancer. Dancers, every dancer I've known always goes to class. They go to class mm. seven days a week, even if they're performing. It's wow. just a muscle you constantly have to work at. I have just kind of like the various things. There's like the actual readings that I do. Then there's mm-hmm. my blog. And then on the on the Instagram, I do like a weekly, what I call like the weekend forecast. So you get a, a gist of like kind of what the, what the week, you know. It's it's a global thing. I don't do like by sign, but I talk about you know is the coming weekend better for socializing or better for getting things done, you know that. And then I'm always kind of doing like little teachable moments in my Instagram as well about maybe like how to read something in a chart or explaining what Saturn means. Um, so I try to also and I, and then I also have my course, my online course that I started in April. Um, which is about how to read a birth chart. Now, that's for people who know a little bit about astrology. So if you know nothing about the topic, the course is a little bit too advanced. But if you know the basics, you're like, well, I know what the sun is. I know what the moon is. I know what the rising sign is, but I don't really know all the other stuff on the planets and how to read a chart. That's what that class is for. And I love teaching astrology. So I think in the fall, I'm going to do another course about forecasting with astrology. One of the things I love to get into with people is something that they have overcome to really build a life for themselves that they 
thrive in and that they love. And especially if it's a creative career, like what you do. I'd seen that you posted on Instagram a couple years ago that you'd overcome a gambling addiction. And I had no idea that you were even struggling with this. And you live in, you still live in, in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So, you know, I would say that my unhealthy relationship with gambling started long before I even moved here um, when I would come on vacation. But it was very easy to kind of dismiss it as well. It was vacation. I just kind of, you know, went over my gambling budget, um, whatever. And then when I'm so I moved here for a job. I mean, you know this, but people listening don't. So I I got my master's in nutrition. So the journalism thing happened. I got my bachelor's and I was like, you know what? I'm actually really into nutrition. I got my master's degree in that. I became a registered dietitian. I worked in that. I I still do a little bit of work in that, but that was like my full-time gig for a while. So my point is I moved to Vegas for for a nutrition-related job. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't looking for jobs in Vegas, but I was job searching for a long time. And then a friend who lived here sent me the job posting and I got it. And I remember when I moved here in the back of my mind being like, this could be a problem. But then I thought, but you know what? I'm not going to be like on vacation there. I'm going to be living there. I'm not on the strip. It'll be a different thing. Well, sure enough, it wasn't. Because then once I started living here, obviously, there's so much gambling easily at your disposal that um, I started, you know, doing it. Partially because also, you know, I moved here when I was 30 and making friends when you're an adult is is very difficult. And plus, I'm more of an introvert to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I was very isolated. Yeah. Um, And then what became, you know, recreational gambling here and there, 40 bucks here, 40 bucks there started to become a very unhealthy habit and, and, and an addiction. And to your point from earlier, I don't like to get into this whole thing of, you know, well, this addiction is worse than this one. They're all, I think every addiction is terrible. But one thing that's unique to gambling, it's very easy to hide. Because if you're addicted to alcohol, for example, well, if you're you're completely um, inebriated, you can't drive, you can't go to work, you start calling out sick, people smell it on you. Um, You know, maybe if you are... On, on some kind of drug, you're acting very erratically. People are like, are you okay? With gambling, it's so easy to hide. Nobody had any idea. And, you know, there were times when I was going to work without sleeping because I would be at the casino all night and then go straight to work. And maybe I looked wow. tired, but I wasn't doing anything. People would be like, you know, you've missed work for four days or anything like that. As a result of that, it, it allowed the addiction to progress to a point where it got where I, I just, you know, I was digging myself into a deeper and deeper hole financially. Mm. And what finally happened is that at the time when it got, at the time that I hit my rock bottom, I was working for a startup here in Vegas, but my jo- my boss was based in LA. And it was a very small company, like literally four of us. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, he would fly me out to LA So he and I could meet and like about certain things. And this was December of 2017. And he flew me out. And in one of the conversations that we had, he told me, you know, just so you know, um, because of the way the company is going now, you don't really have to live in Vegas to do this job. Because he knew that I loved L.A. and I had a lot of friends there. So he was like, you know, if you wanted to move to L.A., you could blah, blah. So then later that day, he's driving me back to my hotel and he drops me off at the front door and we're parked in his car. And he says to me, yeah, so again, think about what I said about, you know, moving if you want to do that. And then he said, which I'm sure is, isn't a problem for you because you seem like a really financially responsible guy. And I think he said that because he knew how much he paid me at a very good salary. And from where he from his perspective, you know, I never took vacation. I had a very very basic car. So from the outside looking in, I I wasn't spending any money. I was gambling it all away. But there was something about when he said that to me that I was financially responsible. It hit a nerve in me because I could have just been like, okay, thanks to you. It it hit something in me that I was like, all right, I got to tell you something. And that's when I blurted it out. I mean, I burst into tears, you know, and then like we drove somewhere else. We didn't because then we had like an hour long conversation. But my, the reason why I share that is because that was the impetus for me going to a 12 step program 
and beginning my recovery. Wow. I'm so glad that you have overcome it and that you're in such a better place. Thank you. I I do like I do wonder though and I kind of like worry because you're my friend like you still live in Vegas so you know all of the and I've been to Vegas you know everything is just designed to like suck you in and like flashing lights and free drinks and this looks fun and this is great like everything's designed to like make you enter the casino and then stay in the casino because you can never find the freaking exit once you're in there (laughs) (laughs) so like is that hard for you to still live like so close to all that because in la there you know there's no there's no gambling here unless you go like unless you drive to a casino you know it's not and in vegas you know, you sit down at a bar outside of Vegas or a restaurant and there's just slots there. There's slots at the airport. Right. So, you know, is that hard for you? I think if anything, it's one of those things that keeps me very focused on recovery because to your point, it's very easily accessible. And I kind of think in a way, you know, it might, might sound weird to say, not that I'm, not that I would gladly go through what I went through again, but I think mm-hmm. that me moving here was necessary for me to understand just how bad of a problem I had. Because I think had I, let's say that I didn't live in Vegas, I think what could have happened over time is that I could have made a vacation here once, twice a year, gambled in a way that was very problematic, but always kind of put in the back of my mind as, well, it's just vacation. And I think it was mm-hmm. cu- having to live here and move here to realize that, no, I'm a compulsive gambler. I'm always looking for meaning behind things. Mm-hmm. Um, or like energetically, you know, is something happening for this reason? So I was going to ask you if you thought that something led you to Vegas so you could address this in your life. And it sounds like, yeah. I think so. I think something, I think I was meant to, to come here for, I think partially for that purpose to really like a deal with that part of me, because don't get me wrong. I was never judgmental about addiction ever, but I never understood it because I never, um, like, you know, things like alcohol and drugs never did it for me. Like with alcohol, I could go months without drinking. I'm not, I don't really like the flavor of alcohol for the most part. Um, I could easily go somewhere and like have half of a drink and be like, ah, I'm done. I'm good. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, drugs also just never particularly interested me, but it wasn't until gambling that I was like, oh, this is what addiction feels like. And to me, what I describe it as, it's like, it's a little bit freaky because it's almost like your brain is completely hijacked. And a part of you is saying like, no, 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 hold on, stop. But there's something in you. It's almost like you're, I mean, it might sound weird to say, but it's almost like you're being controlled by something else. Like I remember Mm -hmm. so many times being at a casino and, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm only going to play X amount of money. And I would play that. And then there was something in mind that was like, go to the ATM and get more. And I'd be like, no, that's not a good idea. And I couldn't override that. And I remember times like walking to the ATM and being like, no, don't, don't do this. But I couldn't leave. I mean, it's, it's really bizarre. And you know, I mean, there have been studies done that show that people who are predisposed to this as I am, there's been, you know, not surprisingly, there's a, uh, the university here has a whole, um, a whole department that studies gambling addiction. Um, and they've done studies where when they do imaging of the brain, when people who are compulsive gamblers are gambling, the part of the brain that lights up is, looks exactly the same as when somebody who's, um, addicted to cocaine is doing cocaine. There's no difference between the two brain scans. Wow. I was going to say, I wonder if my brain looks like that when I'm really too into social media. (laughs) Well, I (laughs) mean... I'm like looking at my phone way too much. (laughs) Well, there are parallels between, not the exact same, but you know, one thing that gambling or anything addictive does, it all has to do with dopamine. All these apps are all the like, you know, the pinging, the dinging, even online dating, like Tinder and the swiping. It's all about dopamine hits. That's it is. Social media is the likes, the hearts. That's all dopamine. Notifications. Yeah. 100%. Exactly. And even the, like the, uh, like TikTok and, and the dating sites, one thing they have in common with gambling is that, you know, um, 
one big thing about gambling is the, and I'm not using the right term here, but it's basically the fact that you don't know what the next hand is going to be or what the next spin is going to be. Same thing with TikTok and the dating sites. Like when you swipe left on somebody, you don't know what the next profile is going to be. Right? Or even the TikTok, like you're you're swiping on TikTok, you don't know what the next video is going to be. And there's something about that that also parallels gambling, the idea of like, well, let's hit the spin button again and see what happens. Yeah. Oh, it's scary how these things, they're designed to hijack your brain. It's designed to do that. Well, yes. In fact, I remember one thing that was very disturbing years ago, like every industry, the gambling industry has like a many conferences, which first of all, I find it funny how they call it gaming. You know, even that is very purposeful. It's not gambling, it's gaming. But um, they had, there was a conference. I remember going online to look at the agenda, not because I was going to go, just curious to be like, what do they talk about? And I'll never forget, there was a session titled something like how to build a better mousetrap. And it was all about how when you have the ergonomic chairs and you have the surround sound and like, I mean, that says it all. It's about keeping you in that seat. So would you say after you got help and you overcame this, that's kind of when, um, I mean, obviously your life improved drastically, but would you say that that helped your astrology? Oh, 100%. Because once I got into recovery over time, um, that just led to, you know, a lot of thinking about my life and what I want to do. And am I doing things that fulfill me? And that's when I realized, you know, I really love astrology. Why not do something with it? And initially, I was like, well, maybe I'll wait until I retire. And then I was like, no, no, I'm not going to wait 30 years to do astrology. And, And what if I don't even make it to 60? You know what I mean? I was like, no. So that's what I was like, I I want to do this. And it wasn't overnight, but I would say I got the idea that I wanted to try astrology as a business, see how it would go. Summer of 2018. I got into recovery December 2017. Um, Summer of 2018, I was like, you know, I want to do that. And I launched my business April 2019. So in between then, it was, you know, researching, well, how do you do this and getting the business license? And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew nothing about how you set up a business. So I had to learn all that. I did have friends who helped me. Like I had one of my friends who at the time lived in LA and he was very good at, okay, so you need to get this to be your scheduler and then you connect it to your Google calendar and then you connect this to your PayPal. Like I had people help me a lot, which helped to speed up the process. That's awesome. But I love that how once you conquered your addiction, that is kind of what led you to starting this business, which is more fulfilling for you. And ultimately led you to like live your best life. A hundred percent. Because one thing that addiction, at least for me, my experience with gambling addiction, looking back on it is the, the amount of time and mental energy that it took up because I was either always consumed with thinking about how much money I lost and freaking out about the money and how, and how was I going to pay this or pay that? Or I was already thinking about, Oh, next Friday I get paid. So I'm going to play this game and that. I mean, my my entire mental energy was consumed by gambling. So I had no mental bandwidth for anything else. Yeah. No, the same thing happened to me. Like, I, I talked about this in my first and second podcast episode, but I went through a period where I was so depressed. I was so depressed. I could not do anything. I couldn't act at all because it just took up all of my brain power. I had no room for anything else. So once I dealt with that, it it left room for the creative uh, part of me that wanted to act and wanted to pursue that as a career. Wow. And the thing is that, you know, gambling also, or any addiction, I should say, but I just talk about gambling because it's my experience. It became this really terrible cycle because, so I felt bad for whatever reason, say I felt lonely, depressed, isolated, anxious, whatever. I felt X emotion. So I gambled to numb. But then the more I gambled and the more money I lost, the worse I felt. The worse I felt, the worse I felt, the more I wanted to gamble. The more I gambled, the worse. So it just became the spiral of like gamble to forget how, how horrible I felt, feel more horrible after gambling. And then that just became this hamster wheel. Yeah, it's it's awful when you're in that. It's just uh it's just a, like a nasty nasty cycle. 
I mean, I can only relate it to like being super depressed, but it, mm-hmm. you know, like once you're that down, it's weird. Like once I started to get better, I was like, this is uncomfortable. I'm going to go back to feeling depressed for a little while. Like it wasn't mm. a, a, like a, a trajectory upward. It was, you know, up and down. It, it's weird how like feeling good was uncomfortable. So I, I like went back to feeling bad and I don't know. Well, that's a great point you bring up because one thing I often say too is that in a way gambling over time became like my mood stabilizer because then it was like if for whatever reason I was feeling very joyful or very hopeful, I was like, ooh, that makes me also want to gamble. So it wasn't just I feel alone and anxious and it was like I'm in a great mood. I want to I want to gamble to feel even better, but even though that wasn't what it was doing. So yeah, it's it's funny how it just became like the go-to thing to address any kind of emotion. Yeah, crazy. Well, I'm so glad that you are better now and that Thank you. that's behind you and I think what you do is so cool. Um, you're the only astrologer I know and that Ooh. I would recommend. Thank you yes. so much. That means a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know, you've been so helpful, you know, like you did my birth chart, we did a year ahead chart once. Mm-hmm. Um, you did my husband, you did my mom's. I'm going to have you do my kids. Um, yeah, yeah, I actually do a really lot of insightful. Yeah, I do a lot of children's charts. Um, obviously in the same way that, you know, I do it for the parents. Um, mm-hmm. But parents find it helpful just because, you know, I always say I'm not a parenting expert. I'm not telling anybody how to parent. I'm just giving you information about the astrological makeup and the needs of this particular child. So then you can use that information however way you see best. Yeah, I feel like that's so helpful. That's going to be invaluable information. I mean, especially now because he can't talk or communicate. And I'm like... (laughs) I hope you're happy. I'm feeding you and changing you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it'll be cool to get some insight into his personality and, you know, what challenges might come up and just stuff to be aware of as as we grow together as a family. I feel like that's so that's so useful. Yeah, there's always that fine line between, you know, it is that child's chart and they eventually have to navigate it on their own and you can't live their life you can't live their life for them but you can at least be aware of oh i know that this might be a challenge for them so i can at least be aware of that and be supported in this way especially yeah 100% that is so helpful to know and all the stuff that you said about my, I mean, we did a really, we didn't really get super in depth here, but when we did my birth chart, it was, it's just crazy how like spot on it was about how my parents acted and uh, what I needed and things like that. So I know that it'll be really helpful. Yeah. So looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, where can people find you if they want to check out your Instagram, if they want to get a reading, if they want to read your blog, tell us. Yes. So the website is astrologywithandy.com. That's where you can read the blog. It's also where you can sign up for my online class and also where you can book a reading. Uh, So I offer a variety of readings, but if you, on the website, you click on services, you'll see like the full menu and variety. And then you book there, you do it all through there. And on Instagram, my username is also Astrology with Andy, and I try to post about four to five times a week there. Nice, yeah. And the stuff you post is super helpful too. Um, even if people just want to get a general weekend forecast or know what's in retrograde, what to yes. do, what not to do, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I always say my main when I was thinking of my business, I'm like, what do I want to accomplish with this? And it was about making astrology practical and applicable and easy to understand. You know, I, there's, I'm one of many astrologers, so you can kind of jive with whoever you want. But I always say my brand is making it easy to understand. You know, I don't, I don't go off in the bushes. I'm not too, like, airy-fairy. I'm very much like, look, here's a deal. Here's how you can use it. I, I like to break it down and make it simple. I think that's what people most appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. And I can say that you have done that for me and for my family. So thank you. Highly recommend. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Andy. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much for listening to Now You See Me. If you found value in this episode, please consider donating to the podcast to show your support. This podcast is fully self-funded from the studio rental to recording, to the editing, to the graphic design, to the distribution platform. All of that costs money and every little bit helps. So there is a link down below in the show notes where you can send a donation in any amount at all. And like I said, anything really helps. Also, please follow, like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review with your feedback. It really, really helps out me and the pod, especially as we are just getting started. Thank you so much for being here and for your support. Music by Steve Chevy. For collaborations or ad requests, email booking.cassandraleemorris at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.